WTBN Pinellas Park, 100.3 W262CP Bayonet Point. Online at Let's Talk. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, the key to understanding Hebrews 6 is to know who the writer is addressing in this passage. I believe that he's addressing the unbelieving, intellectually convinced Jews. These are not believers. When he's saying to them, it is impossible to renew you again to repentance if after knowing all of this you fall away, it's impossible to renew you again to repentance. That's because there comes a point in a person's heart where he can be so hardened to the truth that he, he is confirmed in his unbelief, he will never come to Christ. I believe, personally, that's the unpardonable sin. The first few verses of Hebrews chapter 6 may be some of the most difficult to understand in the entire Bible. Many people who believe that a person can lose their salvation use these verses to prove that doctrine. Yet most of those same people say that salvation can also be regained, even though this passage says it is impossible. On top of that, if we take this passage to mean that salvation can be lost, what do we do with Jesus' wonderful promises recorded in the Gospel of John that he would never leave us or forsake us, and that no one can remove us from his or his Father's hand? What do we do with Paul's joyful declaration in Romans 8 that nothing ever created can separate us from the love of God? Hmm. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Back in 1982, Pastor Steve was preaching through the Gospel of John when he came to chapter 10. Normally, Pastor Steve preaches expositorily, meaning verse by verse, hence the name of this program. But Jesus' wonderful promises in John 10 prompted Pastor Steve to stop for a while in John and deal more thoroughly with our eternal security in Christ. We call this series, Safety for the Sheep. Today's Bible class is the middle part of a sermon dealing with what Pastor Steve calls a problem verse. It's a passage that seems at first glance to contradict what Jesus said in John 10. There are many interpretations of the statement that it's impossible to restore someone who's rejected the enlightenment and the other blessings listed here in Hebrews 6. J. Vernon McGee, for example, said that it's impossible for man, but not for God. Well, that's one way to deal with it, and I greatly respect the late Dr. McGee. Here's Pastor Steve now, though, with what I think might be a more accurate understanding. And when you come to the book of Hebrews, in fact, when you come to any, any book of the Bible, you must understand the theme. So what is the theme of Hebrews? Very simple. The theme is this. It is the superiority of Jesus Christ over Judaism. You could put it this way. It is the superiority of Christianity over Judaism. The superiority of New Testament revelation over Old Testament revelation. You could say it this way. It is the superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant. Doesn't mean the old covenant is wrong. Just means the new covenant is superior to that. Because the old covenant in Judaism, in the Bible, is correct. It's God's truth. But Christianity is superior because the Old Testament, and I'll explain this more, simply pointed to the New Testament. The Old Testament is the, the ABCs of New Testament truth. It is kindergarten level. New Testament truth is graduate truth. It's, it's graduate level truth. It's not 101 in religion. It's more like 801. It is, it is high. It is mature. It is deep. You could say that the whole message of the book of Hebrews could be summed up with these words. 
Christ is better. Christ is better. That's it. That's what Hebrews is about. Very simple. He is better than the Old Testament prophets. That's how, that's how the writer starts out. He says, the Old Testament spoke this way. God spoke to us in various times and divers. But now in his Son, he's spoken unto us in these final days. In other words, immediately there's a contrast between what's old has been taken the place. It's been taken place by something that is better. So he goes through this and we find that Christ is better than the Old Testament prophets. Christ is better than angels. Christ is superior or better to Moses. Christ is better than Joshua. Christ is better and superior to the Levitical priesthood. Christ is superior to the priesthood of Melchizedek. Christ is superior to the Old Covenant or, or Judaistic ways. Christ is superior to the Old Testament ordinances and the sacrifices. He is the Lamb of God. And once he's come, you don't need that other stuff anymore. Forget it. It's gone. Now, why would the writer... And let me say this, I'm not going to go into a whole thing of who, who wrote the book of Hebrews. I don't know, and God hasn't told us. We don't know who the writer is for sure. And that's not the point. But this is the point. Why would the writer sit down and write a letter like this? I mean, you don't write like this to people every day. Christ is better than Moses and Joshua and, and the Levitical priesthood and Melchizedek and all. You don't write letters like that every day. Why would he sit down and write a letter to them? Well, we've got to see who the book was written to. It was not written to just an ordinary group of people. It was written to, as its name says, Hebrews. It was written to Jewish people. It's, it's written, set against the background of, of Old Testament truth, Judaism, that the Jew would understand. It was not written to Gentiles. There is nothing in this book that would indicate that it was written to Gentiles or even a mixed congregation. Apparently, this was a group of people who were... Uh, who, who were existing shortly after the time of, of Christ, after he ascended back to the Father, and there were no Gentiles in their, in their midst. But it was also before the temple was destroyed, and you'll see that's important. It was written to Hebrews, but here's where I think many Bible students make a mistake. Most Bible teachers say that it was written to only Hebrew believers. It was written to only Hebrew Christians. I think they're wrong. I think it was written to primarily two groups. Now, I think it was written to two groups. I should say primarily, I think it was written to believers, but not totally. And let me, let me explain. First of all, it was primarily, and this is who the writer is dealing with for his thrust. It was primarily written to Hebrew Christians, a congregation made up of Jewish believers, these, these folks who have been truly saved out of Judaism. They were born again. They were real. They were genuine. They were believers. But these Hebrew Christians experienced such hostility from their friends and loved ones and, and relatives, such hostility and persecution. And, and the writer explains this in, in chapter 10. We have it right in here, chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. He says, But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated, uh, and, and so forth. And then he says in chapter 12, in chapter 12, verse 4, he says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. In other words, there was persecution, there was hostility. It hadn't reached the point where they were killed for their faith, but oh, it was a tough time to endure. Listen, if you've known any Jewish believers, 
like myself and others, then you know that when a Jew comes to Christ, it is never easy. There are always difficulties. Uh, some Jewish believers have their parents who disown them. They legally cut them off and say, this is no longer my son, this is no longer my daughter. There are psychological uh, difficult hostilities and persecutions that take place. And this is what they were going through, these Hebrew believers. They were tempted in the midst of persecution to go back to Judaism. They wanted to hold on. Nobody wants to be disliked. Nobody wants to have uh, animosity. I mean, it wasn't like uh, Christianity was the major religion in the world at that time. This was a group of, of Hebrew believers who were called a sect, a cult. They were, they were scorned, they were laughed at, and, and they weren't very mature in the faith, and they were struggling, they wanted to go back, and I can appreciate that. When I was first a believer and, and endured persecution and, and hostility, not just from family, but from friends, and there is a real human tendency to say, why do I need this? Life was much simpler before. Maybe, maybe I could still hold on to Judaism and, and just become religious. Maybe I could still go to synagogue and be a secret believer. And that's what they were experiencing, that type of thing only, I'm sure, on a much more intense level than I did. And you see, the temple was still in existence, and there was a real struggle to go back to the temple and back to the synagogue, and the priesthood was still in existence, and, and Titus hadn't marched into to Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and destroyed the city, and all these things were still standing, and, and they were struggling in this and struggling in this. A writer writes to them, and he reminds them that they have something far better than they ever had in Judaism. They don't need to go back to the temple. They have a better temple. They don't need to go back to the priesthood. They have a superior priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't need the Old Testament sacrifices anymore. They had the one ultimate sacrifice. And so his message to them is, go on, get going, press forward, don't go back. You don't need that. Christ is better than that. You haven't lost anything. You have gained everything. That's why he's writing these Hebrew believers. Move on. Don't turn back. He is exhorting them and encouraging them to get going. Do you see? Do you see? That, that's how the whole book unfolds. But I believe the letter was also written with unbelievers in mind. And not just any unbelievers but Jewish non-believers who intellectually were convinced of the gospel, but they had never accepted Jesus Christ. Never accepted him. And interspersed throughout this book, not primarily written to them, but interspersed throughout this book, the writer addresses certain warnings to these people who were right on the edge of salvation, but they had never accepted Christ. For instance, Hebrews chapter 2, and this is, this is vital for you to see. Hebrews chapter 2, how did the gospel come to them? For this reason, verse 1, we, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proves unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience receives a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I think that's, that's too strong for believers. That's written to unbelievers. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing them witness, both by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. What he's saying is you've been enlightened. You know the truth. The word of God has come to you. You saw the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In one sense, you were even a part of what God was doing in your midst. You're intellectually convinced of it. How shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Then the second warning is Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12, actually it, it starts, you'll see, verse 7, but verse 12. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. In falling away from the living God. He's speaking of a hardened heart. He's speaking of an unbelieving heart. A believer does not have an unbelieving heart. He has a believing heart. He said, take heed. And then another passage that, that troubles people is Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And he says in verse 27, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. They knew the truth of the gospel and they rejected it. And what the writer is saying, what more could God do? There is no more way of deliverance. You have, you have rejected the truth. You have made your decision. You know the truth. What more can God do? He's convicted you. He's dealt with you. You know the truth. You know the gospel. You don't need to be any more convinced of it. There remaineth no more a way of salvation because you have made a decision that is irreversible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 through 17. We don't need to turn there, but he, it's another warning. And he says, lest you fail the grace of God. That's not addressed towards believers. Yes, believers can fail the grace of God, but that's not what it's dealing with. It's dealing, it's dealing with a root of bitterness that springs up from an apostate who, is, who has not taken God's grace. When he addresses these, and I said primarily he addresses believers, but when he addresses unbelievers, he's writing to them with a different message. To the believers, it's, it's get going. Don't fall back into Judaism. Press on. To the unbeliever, he's saying, get going to Christ. Don't turn back. You've come all this way just come a little bit further and come to Christ. Just come on a little bit further. Press on. Become a believer. You have everything going for you. There's nothing more God can do. You must accept Him. Now these people, these unbelievers, were stuck back in Judaism. And what is Judaism? What is the Old Testament? The Old Testament basically a, a picture book. It's a picture book. It's the beginnings of God's revelation pictures. You know, when a child uh, starts to grow, you get him a book, it's filled with pictures, right? There isn't a whole lot of words there, it's just pictures. See Tom, you know, see Spot Run. I mean, it's very simple. But listen, when your child's in college and he, and he wants a picture book, something's wrong. He ought to mature, he ought to move on. And that's what the writer is saying. You're still back in the picture book. Come on all the way, come to Christ and see the deep truth of the Word of God. And Judaism is a picture book. And pictures are really not that exciting. When I go away on a trip, I always have pictures of my family in my wallet. And when I get lonely, I look at those pictures. And, and it reminds me of my family. But it doesn't satisfy me that much. I much prefer for them to be there. They are the reality. And when they are with me, I don't look at those pictures. The writer is saying to these, to these unbelieving Hebrews, he's saying, the reality is here. Stop looking at the pictures. Put the photos away and come to Christ. Why do you need the pictures when you've got the reality of the Messiah right in your midst? Now the key to understanding Hebrews 6 is to know who the writer is addressing in this passage. I believe that he's addressing the unbelieving, intellectually convinced Jews. These are not believers. 
And when he's saying to them, and I'll, I'll give you just an overview of this, when he's saying to them, it is impossible to renew you again to repentance if after knowing all of this you fall away, it's impossible to renew you again to repentance. That's because there comes a point in a person's heart where he can be so hardened to the truth that he, he is confirmed in his unbelief he will never come to Christ. I believe personally that's the unpardonable sin. When the Pharisees knew the truth, when the Pharisees saw the truth, when the Pharisees were intellectually convinced that Jesus was Christ and God, when they saw the miracles, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit because what God was doing in their heart and convicting them and dealing with them, they said no. They were convinced of the truth. It wasn't like they wanted to know it. They knew the truth and they turned from it. And Jesus said, you will never be forgiven. All forgiveness or all manner of sin rather can be forgiven. Except that. Why? Because that sin confirms a person unbelief. He has made up his mind. He will not reverse that. And there comes a point in a person's life where he uh, is in danger of so hardening his heart to the truth after hearing it over and over and over and over again that he will not receive it ever. That's why in Hebrews 3, the writer says, uh, be careful lest your heart becomes hardened. Yeah, there comes a point where you will not respond to the truth. There's only one sin that can't be forgiven, and that is the sin of rejecting Christ. If you reject Christ, there is no forgiveness because forgiveness is based upon accepting Christ and the forgiveness in which he purchased for us as he died on the cross. So, of course, if you're, if you're hardened in your unbelief, and you're never going to accept Christ, you can't be forgiven. I think these, these Jews were in danger of that. And the writer is addressing them on this issue. I don't believe they're believers at all. They are intellectually convinced Jews, and they've come right to the edge of salvation, right to the brink of it. And the writer says, come on, a little bit further. Come on, press on. He's warning them of the consequences of intellectually knowing the truth but rejecting it. And listen, we're in danger of that too. I don't want you to think this is just for first century Jews. You can be, and we've met people, I've met people like this, who sit week after week in a church, month after month, year after year. They know the gospel. They're convinced of the gospel, but they never accept Christ. They never accept him. And there comes a point, and I don't know the point in everyone's heart, and neither did the writer. He didn't say, uh, for certain, all of you were like this. He, he just said, you're in danger of being like this. There comes a point in each one's life where you can so harden yourself, you will not accept him. There are many people like that. There are many liberals like that. There are many modernists like that. They can quote you the Bible. They know, they know the plan of salvation uh, better than we do as far as proclaiming it. They've never accepted Christ. And with some of them, and this may sound ruthless, but they will never accept Christ. They are so hardened to the truth, they will not accept the truth. It, it is just beyond them at this point. Well, let's, let's begin by looking at the passage. And we want to look this morning at the spiritual condition of these people. Let's look at verse 11. The spiritual condition of these people. And I want you to see that it's not, not just me saying this. I think I can back this up in Scripture. Concerning him, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. Let's stop there. Now, I'm not going to go over all of Hebrews chapter 5 to understand this, except to say that the writer is saying that uh, there was a priest in the Old Testament named Melchizedek. Melchizedek was not like, uh, not like Aaron's priesthood. He was not like the Levitical priesthood. He was, he was greater than the Levitical priesthood. He was before the Levitical priesthood. Uh, essentially, basically, the writer is saying this, that Christ's priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. 
In fact, he's superior to Melchizedek. And the writer wants to explain more things about Melchizedek, but he says, I can't. It's hard to explain these things. And he says, for, uh, since you have become dull of hearing. So I, I'd like to expound this whole truth on Melchizedek, but I can't because you can't receive it. You're, you're dull. He will explain it in chapter 7, but he said, you're, you're dull. I'd like to explain it. Now, why were they dull? And what does that mean? This is very important. They had become dull of hearing. That was their spiritual problem. The Greek word for dull is made up of two words. One word is no. Another word is push. You know what it means? Put it together. You don't need me to tell you this. It means to not push. It, it means to be slow, to be sluggish. No push. Sluggish, lethargic. Uh, it is even translated in Greek literature as numb. It is also translated, excuse the expression, but stupid. He's saying you have become spiritually stupid. You are dumb. You are thick spiritually. You are numb to spiritual truth. You are lethargic, slow, no push, sluggish. The problem wasn't with the teacher. Sometimes when people don't understand truth, it's because the teacher uh, is not explaining the truth right. But with them, they had become sluggish and, and thick and slow when it came to the great truth concerning Melchizedek's priesthood, how it relates to Christ's priesthood. They were in a state of spiritual lethargy in relation, in relation to understanding the truth. But it's important to note that they weren't always like this. No, they weren't. The word that is translated uh, are, it, it says in verse 11, uh, since you have become, or in some versions it says you are dull of hearing, literally means to become. Kenneth Weiss, the former Greek professor at Moody Bible Institute, says this concerning the word to become. It says it is the perfect tense which speaks of a process completed in past time having present results. What does he mean by that? In other words, there was a time when these people were not sluggish. At one time, the New Testament truths they heard were exciting to them. They had been stirred by the truth. They were moved by the truth. And they were open to the truth. But not now. Not now. Now it had become old stuff. They were spiritually lethargic. They were not excited about this. I know people like this. They hear the gospel. They get excited about it. Sometimes they get so emotionally excited. They're in tears. I've seen people at the altar like that. I've seen people who, who pray even a prayer of salvation at that point. They are emotionally stirred by the message. They've never heard anything quite as exciting as this. But they never accept Christ. And the more they're exposed to the gospel without receiving Christ, the harder they get. If you've ever tried to deal with a person like that, you know what I mean. I've heard people say, well, I accepted Christ when I was younger and it didn't help. Didn't do any good. And you try witnessing to a person like that. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They have heard the gospel so much without responding to Christ that, that they are dull to it. It is no longer exciting. It's old stuff. They really aren't interested in it anymore. 18th century evangelist George Whitfield was one of the most effective preachers in history. He played a major part in what is known as the First Great Awakening. Yet he would grieve for the countless people who would hear the gospel, understand it, and even loudly cry in anguish and remorse for their sins, and yet they turned away from Christ and went home still lost. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in the area on a Sunday and looking for a place to worship, why not stop in at Lakeside? Pastor Steve would love to meet you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. The website is lakesidechapel.com 
And the phone number is 727-441-1714. Today's broadcast comes from a sermon Pastor Steve delivered in 1982, so I hope you'll forgive the less-than-perfect audio quality of what we at Verse by Verse believe is a vitally important message. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's not a license to sin. It's a motive to obey. If you missed any of the previous broadcasts in this series, you can get them at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have information on giving if the Lord is leading you to do something above and beyond your regular giving to your own church. That's versebyverseradio.org. There's something else you could do, too, that's not a big thing, but it would really encourage us. If these Bible classes of the air are blessing you, would you call this radio station and let them know about it? You would make their day as well as ours. Thanks. This is Jerry Peterson. There are many people who are sitting in our churches who are vaccinated against Christ. They've heard the gospel over and over without ever responding. Or possibly they have heard a false gospel and rejected it without realizing it was false. They become highly resistant to the influence of the Holy Spirit.